I hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from, the, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. How are we doing? I appreciate you, Stanley. Last week, last week we sang a song called, Is He Worthy? And the first verse of that song starts by asking, do you feel the world is broken? And we said, we do. So do you feel the shadows deepen? And we said, we do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We didn't know that we would need tears to say that. We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Don't we? Do we not? We said last week, we do. That's what this week has felt like to me. I'm so glad we have that song. I'm so glad we have so many things that God has, has blessed us with. It's been a, a practice in what it feels like to live in the tension of darkness and brokenness, and yet, yet the light is piercing through. How about for you? How's this week been for you? Good morning, Waypoint. My name is Eric Weiner. I'm one of the pastors here. And as you can tell from our prayer time this morning, there, there have been some, some sad and heavy things going on in our world this week. And if I'm honest, I, I have it in me to be a very pessimistic person. I mean, I was honestly asking myself, Lord, why, why this passage? I mean, is this, is this even going to be relevant? Is this, why, why, like, what do we do? But I want to tell you that I am deeply convinced of these words that have been proclaimed to you over these past several weeks. Jesus 
is supreme. He is preeminent. That Christ is still in this world as he takes up residence in us, his church. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he is not done with us. I don't believe that Christ looks at the relationship he has with his church and thinks that he made a mistake. I don't think he wants out. But for those who claim his name and yet choose to walk in darkness, he will bring to light what has been hidden. He is the truth. He is the head, the one we submit to, and through him we grow up in all spiritual maturity. In Christ we we receive all spiritual fullness. And that's what our passage is talking about again this morning. You are complete in Christ. Christianity is not me and Jesus. It is Christ in me. And it's important that we know the difference. So this morning we we turn our attention toward what it means for us to live in Christ. And you know, so much of the Christian life seems to focus on the point of entry. How do I get in? How do I become a Christian? An entry into the Christian life only comes through believing the gospel. It comes through trusting the saving work of God through Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to actually walk in Christ? To live in Christ? How how would you answer that question? I think our tendency is to do with Christianity what basic morality invites us to do with everything else which is to create and maintain a working list of rules and regulations that make us feel okay about ourselves. Plenty of people want to treat Christianity like a do's and don'ts religion because they can actually tolerate that. They can actually do that. They can participate in that. And so the Bible becomes our rule book and spiritual disciplines become the litmus test for how Christian you are. But to be honest with you, I don't even know what that means, right? Like, how Christian are you? As if there are different gradations of Christian. What we see here in Colossians is that either you're alive in Christ or you're not. Either you live according to the unspiritual mind or you abide in the head, which is Jesus. Are there different levels of maturity? Absolutely. But there are not different levels of Christian. Have any of you ever experienced imposter syndrome? Does this ring a bell to you? Maybe you experienced this at school or or in your work. I was looking this up the other day. Imposter syndrome is is loosely defined as, as you're doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. It's this fear that you don't actually deserve your, your status or your success, that you don't actually belong. And the reason why I ask that, and it, it, it might not be the same, it might not be exactly the same here, but, but, but I wonder if that's not a common feeling among Christians, that we feel like we don't belong. Like, am I, am, am I really in on this? Does God really care about it? Is this really for me? And part of that's because you, you, you literally aren't deserving of your standing before God. You literally haven't, have, what have you done that, that makes you right with God? And you feel that. 
I mean, people can tend to be overly confident about themselves or they can be totally unsure of themselves. Either you're super spiritual or you're not spiritual enough. And some of you are even good at sounding spiritual, but if hard-pressed, you're not even really sure what it means to be spiritual. And you really start to feel this when you interact with other people within the church. I mean, you wonder if, if people will question the genuineness of your faith. Am I doing enough here? Am I saying this right? Am I doing this right? Can I drink this? Can I watch that? Can I parent this way? What does this person think of me? What are they saying about me? And the only way to prove that your faith is genuine, you think, is by doing. You have to produce. And so interactions with others feel performative. And service within the church can feel obligatory. And so you try to fake it till you make it. And it's not surprising then to find that the behaviors of imposter syndrome can be linked to, to burnout. You just go, 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 thinking this, this will prove that I'm not a fraud. This will prove that I am who I say I am. This will prove that God is at work in me. But you see, I don't think Christ intended us to live this way. People are willing to participate in a religious program filled with rules because it gives us a clear path for how to deal with our internal guilt from sin. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the way we feel because we did something wrong, though we do. I'm talking about this real, deep-rooted sense that something is not right with me. Francis Schaeffer says it this way. He says in his, his book, True Spirituality, that the average such moral person who has lived comparing themselves to other people and comparing themselves to a rather easy list of rules, even if they cause them some pain and difficulty, can feel that they are getting along all right. It is exactly the same with us as Christians. I can take lists that people make and I can seem to keep them. But to do that, my heart does not have to be bowed. You see, I don't have to submit to anything. To follow rules like that, to live this Christian life in that way, this rules-based spiritual program, I don't have to bow to anyone. And this is at the very heart of what I want to talk about this morning. This difference between the unspiritual mind and the person who is bound to Jesus. Living the Christian life is not a series of thou shalt nots. But in fact, learning in a very real way that you are alive in Christ, right here, right now. And it's only by being in Christ that we begin to experience freedom from our guilt. It wipes it away, not in an abstract way, but in reality. Do you want to experience that freedom? The guilt being taken away as far as the east is from the west. Whether you have known him your whole life or you're just stumbling upon him for the first time, come and receive. Come and know this Jesus. Come encounter him. You can come to him. You can know him. Paul says in Romans 8, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit 
who lives in you. And so how do we walk in the Christian life? How do we live in the power of the Spirit? And my answer to that question is simple. Know your qualifications in Jesus and live your life connected to the head, which is Jesus. Know your qualifications in Jesus and live your life connected to him. That's my answer. That's what I've got for you. Know and abide. You can remember that. Know and abide. Paul begins here in verse 16 saying, do not let anyone judge you. And then in verse 18, do not let anyone disqualify you. This is talking about condemnation, heaping guilt upon others. And what we can draw from this, what we can draw from what Paul is instructing for us is that there are no Christian referees, right? I mean, who gets to referee the Christian life? I mean, just imagine this. Who who have you ever looked up to for their spiritual maturity and thought, man, they are so good at policing other people on holiness. I mean, they they are so Christ-like that when you're around them, they make you feel guilty for not being just like them. Just the other day, they, they caught Billy binging on some Netflix show. Poor, poor Billy. They, they, and they, you should have seen the way they said, I'll pray for you. Now, what we are describing here is a rules-based spiritual program. You want to be like Christ? Follow these rules. That's what the false teachers are projecting onto the church at Colossae. That's what they're teaching them. They believe they have a superior knowledge of God because they have a superior practice of spirituality. Something that can be regulated and regimented. Something that they can do. I mean, just just imagine this, though. Just just imagine the the complications here. Imagine imagine the dissonance. Just imagine someone who, who prays three times a day. They can quote from the scriptures at will. They fast on on Tuesdays and Thursdays during lunchtime. And then they spend the rest of their weekend doing evangelism in downtown. You look at that person and be like, that's a spiritual person. I don't know if I can be like that. I don't know if I, I don't think I'm a spiritual person. That's a spiritual person. And these people, they, they have this posture of, of humility. They, they act humble. And you, you, you know it because they, they give off this impression of, I am humble. But Paul says in verse 18 that these people delight in false humility. They have this demeanor about them that they have a deep love for the Lord. They hear visions from God. And they want you to, to, to hear their visions that they hear from the Lord. But really their efforts have only led them to think, man, People must think, I am so humble. You know, I, I, I just don't understand why, why more people aren't like me. Yeah? It must be my maturity. I bet they think I'm really spiritual. You know, I, I should really do my part by, by teaching people to be more like me. After all, I am what a Christian is supposed to look like. If they really love God, if they really love God, they would spend their time like I spend my time. They would, they would do these things. And again, you, you look at their life and you think, maybe they're on to something here. Maybe, maybe they're right. But what we're really talking about here is legalism. And we are all susceptible to it. Which is why I want to be very clear. Legalism is the outworking of unbelief. 
Legalism is the outworking of unbelief. Wherever the power of God is diminished, legalism finds a home. If it is the power of God that brings you into saving faith, then what makes you think that anything apart from the power of God would be able to sustain it? Now, what we need to cultivate in our inward beings and in our churches is a firm faith in the power of God to move. You see, rules and regulations are a symptom of a diminished faith in the power of God. And you use these rules as guideposts to prop up what only God has built. And you try to build on what only God can hold together. And so you begin to think that your spiritual practices are the very thing that make you Christ's beloved. And it's just not true. Now what's concerning is that these rules can prop things up for a long time. Decades even. Maybe longer. And that it only serves to reinforce your reliance on the spiritual program. You think, it works. Just look at the results. It works. And it leads you to judge something as spiritually healthy when in fact it was never alive in the first place. Do you hear what I'm saying? Only the spiritual dynamics of Christ in you can free you from sin and empower you to be who God intended you to be. Legalism as a spiritual program will never provide the kind of transformation that only comes through the gospel. Now what we see here in our text is that these, these dietary restrictions and these, these days of celebration and religious observance are not, they're not bad practices in and of themselves. I mean, Paul's, Paul's not saying, to, he's not condemning the practices altogether. I mean, Paul says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. They're a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The reality is found in Christ. So the problem is not with the standards and the rules. For example, the, the Sabbath was a day of religious observance where you abstained from work. Doesn't that sound amazing? The Sabbath taught you that rest is good for you. That embracing your limitations is good for you. And there's a correlation between belief and the practice. I mean, just get this. In, in other words, the Sabbath meant that you actually rested. That's what you did. Dietary laws, at their best, were constantly putting moral decisions at the forefront of your mind. They're constantly inviting you to consider how what you consume affects your relationship with the Lord. How the way you live, how you act, how you breathe, how you move, how you interact with others, how, how it all relates to the Lord. That's what these things are, are doing. Constantly thinking about purity and impurity. Constantly thinking about your relationship with the Lord. This is what these practices were meant to do. They were a shadow meant to invite you to wait for and to eventually enjoy the real thing. Now we have the substance. We have the reality, which is found in Christ. In Christ is our reality. Now again, the, the problem then is when these rules and standards become the basis for qualification in the Christian life. Right? Like I said, it's important to know what qualifies you? These false teachers, they, they delight in false humility. 
And they go into great detail about what they have seen because they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. In other words, you begin to think that your spirituality is what gives you ground to stand on. How spiritual you are. How restrained you are. How holy you are. But really what gives you ground to stand on is Christ. And what gives you growth in the Christian life is Christ. Kent Hughes says the idea that spirituality can be quantified provides an unfortunate basis for pride and judgmentalism. The flesh finds doing truly spiritual things difficult. But the flesh has no trouble with religious rules and regulations. There's an authentic lure to legalism. Legalism ultimately creates a superficial faith because it must make the trivial essential. For legalism to work, it must elevate the regulations above the righteousness of Christ because it can never supply the righteousness itself. In other words, legalism fails to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is knowing Christ. You see, in Christianity, the Christian life is impossible outside of Christ. It is by Christ and through Christ and for Christ that you are saved. But when you make these rules and regulations safeguards for your faith, eventually your faith becomes about keeping the rules and regulations, which are only ever meant to get you to focus on Christ. And when you stop focusing on Christ, you really don't have Christianity anymore. You have man-made religion under the name of Christ. And friends, Christless Christianity is just a waste of your time. You need to rediscover the sweetness of your first love. The very basis of your life in the first place. No additions. Just Christ. And that's why our legalism needs to die. Because it never gave you life in the first place. And this is why, again, it is essential that you understand how you were qualified if you were to not let someone else disqualify, you need to understand the rules. You need to understand what qualified you in the first place because this is what gives you the confidence and the freedom to walk as one who is truly qualified. By what qualifications may you enter into the kingdom of God? Back in Colossians 1, Paul, talking about living the worthy life, the kind of life that God finds pleasing. Paul says this. He says he wants you to learn to give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is how you are qualified. This is why in verse 20 of our, our passage this morning, Paul says, since you died with Christ... Since you died with Christ, when you died with Christ, you died to the elemental principles of this world. You want to deal with, with jealousy? You want to, you want to deal with, with sexual temptation? You want to deal with, you want to learn how to control your tongue? Rules and precautions may help you. But if those rules are all you have to safeguard you, they are not enough. They won't change the way you live. They will be minor inconveniences to, to navigate around until you get what you want. What will change the way you live is dying to those things through the power of God. 
and being raised to new life through the Spirit of God. That's how you put to death the old sinful self and you put on the mind of Christ as you learn to walk in Him. And you can't do that unless you not only remember that you are qualified in Christ, but that you also learn to walk in Him by being connected to the head. I mean, that's what Pastor Lawrence's sermon was about all last week, being connected to the head, submitting to the head. And it's so important for us this morning, be connected to the head. Again, Paul says in, at the end of verse 18 that these false teachers are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So we have this picture. We have these people who, who are living this, this seemingly spiritual life. And the church is thinking, these, these, this is a, an image of what spirituality looks like. And Paul's saying, you, you, think, you think that's the spiritual life? You think they're spiritual? Their approach to the Christian life is just a product of the foolishness of the unspiritual mind. They try to do things like every other man-made religion by works. In verse 19, he says, they have lost connection with the head. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. In other words, true spirituality comes from learning to abide in the head who is Jesus. You need to be connected to the head for real growth to happen. You need to be connected to Jesus. We need to live our lives connected to Jesus. Now again, some might conclude from this passage and some have concluded from this passage that what Paul is saying is that I am free to do whatever I want. But Paul doesn't say you're free to do whatever you want. Our freedom in Christ has an aim. We're free from the bondage of sin so that we can live godly lives. Here's a newsflash for you. Doing whatever you want is not the same as living in a manner that pleases the Lord. I mean, Paul, Paul mocks the false teachers in verse 21. When he says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Why do, why do you submit to these? But some of you think freedom in Christ means eat whatever, watch whatever, spend however. But the answer to legalism is not licentiousness. It's not, it's not the freedom to indulge yourself. You're free to know and love God as Christ knows and loves God. Now, you may be free to eat. You may be free to watch. You may be free to, to, to buy, to spend. But do so out of a desire to live lives pleasing to the Lord. Do so as ones who are connected to the head, which is Jesus. You see, the way of the false teachers, it, it, it looks spiritual. I mean, it, it has the appearance of wisdom. They look right. Their superiority is in what they restrain themselves from or in what they participate in. Some of you think your superiority is in what you're free to do. But whether you embrace, embrace asceticism or whether you practice indulgence, Paul's saying those things don't work in producing godliness. That's why in verse 23 he says they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They look like they work, but they don't. These spiritual programs don't work. So you say, okay, then what do I do? What encouragement is there for those who are struggling to understand if they're really abiding in the head? And here's my charge to you. 
It's not necessarily going out and, and, and doing something. It's probably what you want, right? We're all a little legalists at heart. My charge to you is this. You're, you're, you're walking with the Lord is not predicated on what you do for God or on what you know about God, but what God has done for you and what he has established in you, what God is working out in you right now. God is at work in you. You underestimate him. He doesn't underestimate himself. He knows what you're capable of. He knows what he's capable of, and he's totally capable. He's working it out in you right now. You say, I, kn- I, know, I know that God loves it. No, just stop with the but. Know that God loves you. Let the love of Christ empower you. Let it compel you. Let it propel you forward. Try walking in the knowledge that Christ is yours forevermore. Did you hear an end to that? Forevermore. Encourage your soul to rejoice in him because you are his beloved. My wife and I, we, we, we just celebrated 10 years of marriage this week. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and each moment, each year, each season, it, se- it just, it seems to change. I mean, I, I remember 21-year-old me <laughs> discovering this reality that, that who my wife will be in, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years will be different. And that, hearing that, that, that was terrifying. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> She's going to be different. I didn't know what 30-year-old Sarah would be like. Now I do. And you know what? I'm excited for what 40-year-old Sarah is going to be like. I'm excited, Lord willing, for what 50-year-old Sarah will be like. My reality is that, that I live in a space where I have relationship with Sarah. But just because we've created a life together doesn't mean it, it stops requiring effort. One of the biggest gifts that, that my wife has given me in our marriage these past 10 years is the promise of tomorrow. There's not been one day in our married lives that I've ever once thought, does she love me? There's not been one day I have woken up thinking, okay, what am I going to do to get her to stick around today? Have I been complacent? Have I been lazy? Have I taken her for granted? Absolutely. Does the relationship still require a pursuit? Yes. Have I always given her that? Unfortunately not. And yet she has without hesitation or second thought given me the promise of tomorrow. And you know, that has given me the utmost confidence to grow. It's given me the confidence to not stay the same, but to, to grow. That she finds herself married to somebody who's, who's different five, ten years from now. And being in Christ, being in Christ is like that. You see, he, he covenants with you. He, he has relationship with you. And in that process, by abiding in the head, by living in this space where you are with Christ and he is with you, he is in you, he is working in you. You know what? He's making you new. He is making you new. And if, if you're wondering, what will, what will prove my love and devotion to God? 
How can I prove that this is, this is real in me? I think, again, it's, it's remembering God, God loves you. You don't have to question it. You didn't earn it. He's moved toward you. He loved first. And so is it not that Christ is alive in you? Isn't that how you know this is real? I mean, that's what Paul is saying. Some of us worry that we're living our lives disconnected from Jesus. And we're wondering, am I actually connected to him? When you are. And so just just be in that. Just rest in that. Now, others of us are actually living disconnected from Jesus. And my concern is that it doesn't bother you at all. This danger that that Paul is concerned with that that breeds the pride of spiritual superiority is akin to what Jesus identified in the hearts of the Pharisees when he said to them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And if we are merely holding on to human traditions or man-made regulations, then we have added to Christ. And it should be no surprise that Christ be unrecognizable in our midst because we have forgotten what qualified us in the first place. Paul's point in verse 23 is that the false teachers have been making far too big a deal about matters that do not get to the essence of true Christian spirituality. The change of heart and mind that leads to true holiness. People are right to reject man-made rules, but not in favor of no rules. We don't trust our own inclinations. We trust the mind of Christ revealed to us through the scriptures and being worked out through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so my appeal to you this morning is that you would know and abide. Know that you have been qualified through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. And if you are alive in him, then you don't have to sit in in your guilt because your guilt has been buried with Christ. And you can now live as one who is joined to the head. Stay connected to the head, and he will produce growth in you. Christianity is not about the bar that you can hurdle to get in. It's not about the performance that you can exert to last. Christianity is about a new kingdom that you inhabit, because a new king inhabits you. Know and abide. Know and abide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come asking, God, we come, we come asking that you, God, you would work in us. God, we want to we know, we want to trust it, we want to we live in this reality. God, we doubt ourselves. Or maybe we're, we're, we're confident, we're too confident. But God, we know that right here, right now, that you've done something in us. And you're, you're teaching us, you're, you're teaching us what it means to be new. You're teaching us what it means to, to walk in the power of the Spirit. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would tear down anything that, that the works of legalism has built. And God, that you would, you would only build up on the foundation of Christ in us. 
but only Christ can, can grow in us. And God, I pray that, that we would have a, a, a renewed trust, a renewed excitement, a renewed focus and attentiveness to the power of God at work because that is what has saved us and that is what grows us. And God, I pray that we would rest in your power. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.